0: My name is Drew. I'm an alcoholic. Um, so I'm going to start a timer because I get really long-winded, and I want to make sure Hannah has time to speak because I will just keep going. Um, so my sobriety date is September 13th, 2017. Home group is Change Agents. We meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. I have a sponsor that I talk to regularly. Uh, he knows that he sponsors me. We actively work the steps. Uh, and do inventory and talk about real things and uh, try to grow closer to God. And I have the opportunity to sponsor other people as well. Um, So Matt asked me to speak, uh, and he didn't give me a ton of information. Um, And it was calamity with serenity. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, before I got sober, I don't even know if I knew I never even thought about those two words, really. Like, the words that I thought of that pertained to calamity were probably um, I got screwed over, I'm unlucky. Um, Yeah, something along those lines. Um, And the serenity part was probably the bliss of being blackout. Like, that was what I knew to be serenity at that point in my life. Um, So, the fact that... um, you know, I have a sense of like peace, ease, and comfort in my life today is an absolute miracle and 100% like a product of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and and a higher power working in my life. Um, So I'm going to actually read the part in page 68 where I think this comes from. It's just a paragraph, so it's not going to get long. And then I'm going to share a little bit about some of my story um, and like what I think this means to me and how this plays out in my life. So says on page 68 perhaps there is a better way we think so for we are now on a different basis the basis of trusting and relying upon god we trust infinite god rather than our finite selves we are in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him does he enable us to match calamity with serenity Um, you know humbly rely on him that's a that's a big one and i don't know how many times call my sponsor and he's like it sounds like a step two problem and i'm like yeah but if i knew how to invite god into it that i want to be calling you i want to be mm-hmm. having this problem and i think that's like the beauty of alcoholics anonymous is there's like a step there's tools and i have tools in my life to apply to calamities or hardships or whatever you want to call it to get to to get to that serenity um so let me back up a little bit so i was born in richmond virginia um you know i was Uh, my parents split when I was one so I grew up 50-50 and I learned at a very young age how to be a chameleon and kind of fit in and what things I could get away with where uh, and how I could manipulate certain parents to do different things at their houses you know one house was the uh, you know uh, go to school get good grades be involved in all the things and the other house was like go outside till it's dark and then come home and have fun Um, and so like I really like learned how to live that almost double life at a young age Um, I was really involved in sports growing up um, and academic stuff. I was like a very involved person um, in my life, but like it took me a while in sobriety, probably a couple years to really understand what it means uh, for myself to not feel like I fit in. I heard people in AA say, you know, they got the rule book to life and, and I don't know, everyone knows what to do and I don't or whatever. I, I never, like, thought that. I thought that I was, like, a part of and I was all this stuff. But, like, the reality of it was, like, looking back at it, um, I was a part of all sorts of things but always looked at other people as, like, they they were better than me. They were cooler than me. They were closer friends than me. And I was just kind of, like, there trying my best to be a chameleon and make them like me more so that I could fit in. Um, and really what that led to was, like, a really dark, lonely place um, and a whole lot of, if you want to call it, calamity. <laughs> um, but what happened is, is when I was 13 years old, I, I found alcohol. And I didn't have this white light experience. Um, you know, I didn't continue to drink every day since then. I didn't really become like a super heavy drinker until I was um, in college. Um, but what I remember is like all those thoughts racing in my head stopped. And, and I got that like sense of ease and comfort. Um, and then I just searched that like, from that point forward, like, that's how I viewed alcohol and drugs, like, that was my solution, that was the thing that, like, shut everything down in my life, um, and, um, I'm gonna watch out for the time, so, you know, when I got to college, uh, I'm just gonna fast forward to, to college, um, you know, I, I really started to, Like that being a chameleon thing doesn't work out as well when I'm like blacking out on a regular basis and stealing things from everyone and making people very mad at me and having no idea why. Um, And so what I would do is just double down. I would switch to a different friend group and then keep doing those same things. And I never really thought I had to have any sort of ownership of these actions because I didn't remember it. Or it was just kind of funny and we would laugh it off. Like, oh, that was funny. Like that happened last night. It's like, no, like... You stole all my stuff, and then, like, I found it in your sock drawer the next day, you know? Like, that's not cool. Like, that's not what friends do, right? Um, But, again, like, my solution, instead of, like, talking to people about it, my solution was to just get very drunk Um, to the point where, like, I would show up to places. Like, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't even, like, have dinner with my mom without being under the influence. but then but then kind of being sad and lonely and upset that no one accepted me for like who I was and that I was this like outcast of a person and you know my my I guess the person I was was I was a drug addict. I was the the fun uncle, the drunk uncle. I was the the alcoholic and drug addict of the family and that's just who I was. Um and when I got sober um let me back up a little bit. There was a couple of like big things that happened. Um, through that process. One, I went through like a very like dark place mentally, my sophomore year of college. Um, And I laid off certain substances and then convinced a doctor to prescribe me other substances that I knew would help. And I was never honest with anyone through this. And honestly, like by the grace of God, like looking back at it, that was God working in my life like long before I could, because like the place I was at mentally was dark. It was sad. uh, You know, the world was out to get me. um, and, And my solution wasn't working. It was making it worse. Uh, and so the only thing I could do was just to, to, to stay blackout and to stay under the influence. Um, and then when I did those things, it just compounded on top of everything else. So like my solution for the hardships in my life that gave me what I thought was serenity just made everything else like way worse. Uh, you know, like if I'm blackout all the time, then I'm being mean, I'm being hurtful, I'm calling people names, I'm doing all those things uh, where I feel like I'm a part of or I'm trying so hard to be a part of, but I can't be a part of because I need to do this thing in order to be comfortable enough to be a part of, um, and then that thing makes me be a really bad person. Uh, it was just this like compounding effect on my life, um, and, and it was uh, it was a really dark place. But by the grace of God, you know, I got through that time period. Uh, I really like it's it's a God thing, like one hundred percent. I didn't realize it at the time. It took me a while in the sobriety to realize that. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so when I I graduated. And I got fired from my first job within six months. uh, I was living the exact same life, but like in corporate America. Um, And it's not acceptable. Uh, And they saw through that pretty quickly. Um, and, And, you know, this whole like I can just show up to work and like put on a front and like everyone will like me, like only gets me. But but so far until I'm like blackout in a hotel on a work trip, like on a rampage breaking things like there's not much I can do to hide behind that. But, like, again, like, that, like, social anxiety, insecurity, like, whatever it was that, like, I never sat down and talked to someone and did a moral inventory or, or talked about, like, how I really felt about things or myself or anything like that until I got sober. So, again, like, my solution was, like, well, like, I'm just going to continue to get messed up. That's my personality and that's what, like, makes me me and that's what makes me feel comfortable in the world. Um, so I, I got my – there's, like, two other – three, I guess, major events that happened that like I thought that the world was over. You know, like I got fired from that job. I thought my life was over. I was never gonna get a job again. You know, it was all over with. So what I do is I stop doing certain substances and drink nonstop, like all day, uh applying for jobs, you know, and like <laughs> um it's very difficult to get a job when I'm slurring my words at 10 AM uh on like a on a phone interview. You know, like no one wants to hire you for that. Um so I ended up getting another job besides the point. So I, I got a DUI, and that DUI, like I like I woke up in jail, and I thought, you know, like like all this, like the absolute insanity of like what my life was at that point. Like I can't – hide. like I, I go through these points where like I, I get myself – I back myself up, and, you know, at that point I'm in a jail cell. There's nothing I can do. I got a sheet of papers with charges on it with like a bunch of different charges on it, and I don't like – there's nothing I can do. There's no amount of lies that can get me out of that at that point. It's like I got to make a phone call and see if someone can come pick me up, and that's it, right? Um, and there's, like, multiple, like, situations like that where I felt like the world was, like, it was done, you know? Like, any sort of, like, opportunity to grow or be the person or whatever, like, was done, and I had a series of those to the point where, like, I had just kind of given up. And so the second one was I got a second DUI, like, like a year and a week after the first one, so I had just gotten my license back. Um, and, you know, I wasn't drunk that time. I thought i beat the system. Uh, you know, I, I refused the blood test, signed the, signed the admission to guilt right there on the spot, and then went to jail and then got out and was, like, convinced my lawyer was going to get me off on something, you know? Like, that's, like, how, like, insane and insidious, like, my mind is. Like, my mind just tells me, like, well, if I can just figure it out, like, I can just try a little bit harder, I can figure this stuff out. You know, I think the gifts that I found at Alcoholics Anonymous is like, is, like, in one, two, three, and I guess in the inventory, a lot of the steps is, like, is, you know, like, I don't have to figure it out. You know, like, I can just take an action and then let God handle it. And that's, like, way easier and way less stressful than sitting there with an, with a pending court date, with an alcohol monitor on my ankle, stressing about, like, what I was going to do and what the result was going to be and where I was going to be living in the next week and, like, all of that kind of stuff. But the one thing I didn't do or the one thing I did do was I lied during that process and told my parents that my lawyer said I needed to go to rehab after I got sentenced instead of before because it was better to just get it over with and I, I never even talked to my lawyer about that I'm pretty confident he would have told me to um, to move forward and go to rehab first because I clearly needed it at that point he was the same attorney that represented me on the first UI too so he just saw money signs um, and he also represented me another charge in between those two also um, So anyway, so, you know, I I, like I think the simple solution, right, that would have gotten me like what I what I needed, but I didn't know I wanted uh, what was to just give up, you know, and ask for help. Uh, But I was too driven. Like I I, like alcohol had me. Right. Like I like I I didn't like the only thing I knew it was like giving up like I don't have a child, but I would imagine it'd be like giving up my dog. Right. Like that was like the thing I love most. That was like what gave me meaning and purpose in life was alcohol. Um, so so. fast forward a little bit I, I overdosed on September 11th, 2017 Woke up in the hospital and, and that was like the epitome of all the lies Coming down on me um, And you know I uh, At that point in time If you would have asked me I would have said that that day And the two weeks pri- after that Were the worst weeks of my life Like by far Because uh, I woke up my, my brother was there My brother lived in North Carolina So it was a shocker that he was there And he uh, and he was like, "Mom's got a backpack. We're driving you to North Carolina. You're going to rehab." And it was just instant, like fear and like uh, panic of like, "I I gotta I gotta get I gotta get it one more time. I gotta get drunk one more time." Uh, and so I did that. And then I walked out. And all my all the people that loved me the most, you know. And I I showed I showed up at a place. It was like a, it's a safe house. What they call it? It was a place waiting to get into treatment, a bed and treatment. Uh, and I went to an AA meeting that next morning. I didn't want to be there. I wasn't happy about it, but what I did realize about 6 months later is that that day was like and that the events that led up to that were by far the best days of my life. And at the time, I I would have told you that like the world was ending, you know? And I think that's like the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous and I think that's like like my sponsor calls it like there's like a bait and sw- there's like a bait and switch in Alcoholics Anonymous where they kind of like ease you into the god thing and all that kind of stuff. Um and like and, like, that's what it is, right? Like, I think, like, all these worst things are happening. And then people surround me and just say, don't worry about it. Just come to this meeting and meet with me on Friday mornings. And let's read this book. And then and, and, then, we'll f- and then let's go help someone else. And then the rest of the stuff we'll figure it out. And, and I remember, like, when I think of, like, matching Calamity with Serenity from my past, like, and mm-hmm. then in early sobriety. Like, the thing that comes to mind the most is when I was in early sobriety, I was living in a sober living. And I was a couple months sober. And I would lay in bed. And I had just early sobriety, like just panic and anxiety. I had so much debt. I had like, a um, a detective, like showing up to my mom's house, asking about me. Um, you know, and I was down here. Like I, it was just like, it was just the world was like coming in on top of me and I didn't have a solution yet. Um, and I remember laying in bed every night, like, like knowing exactly what I could take that would make me feel better you know, and it would make those thoughts and those racing go away so that I could get a good night's sleep. Um, and I would talk to my roommates about it, you know, and I would talk to those guys and I'm still like great friends with a lot of those guys today and I love them dearly. Um, very grateful to have them in my life, you know, um, you know, six years later, we're all still sober and uh, taking care of each other. Um, but you know, like, at some point along the way, like, through this process, I was meeting with a sponsor regularly. We were reading the book, Word for Word, on alcohol, and Alcoholics Anonymous. We were doing what it said, doing the steps. I was going to a ton of meetings. Um, and somewhere along the way, like, I don't know when it happened, but I started to have this sense of, like, gratitude for, for, um, for all of those things that happened. I had gratitude that I didn't have a license and that I didn't have any money and that I had all this debt and all these things, and like that to me was like the beginning of this like sense of ease and comfort that I get in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and you know, I think the first time that I really understood, there's a lot of times in Alcoholics Anonymous where I think I understand a concept or I can say it and it makes sense to me, um, but they really solidify for me when I'm helping other people. And there was a time, sometime within the first year or two of sobriety where I was speaking at a detox and we did a little question and answer thing at the end. And one of the guys asked me, he said, well, what is serenity? And I looked at him, and, like, in that moment, like, I realized, like, what it meant in my life. And I told him, I was like, it's this sense that, like, I feel like everything's going to be okay. Even if it's not, like, I know that I'm going to be okay. And it was, like, in me saying that out loud to him, like, it, like, so, I was like, oh, crap. Like, I got that. Like, I have that. And I didn't even realize it. And it's, like, so many times at Alcoholics Anonymous, people will see these things um, a way long before I do, Right. Um, and, and it's like such a beautiful experience, you know, and I think like just to touch on like maybe one or two examples of like calamity with serenity, like throughout my sobriety, you know, like I've had, I've lost like really close friends to this disease, um, in sobriety and, um, you know, like that hurts, but like knowing that like I have tools to like, like I think that's what it does, right? Like, you know, we humbly have a certain position towards God or whatever it said that I read in the beginning, right? Right. Like, like I have tools to get me through those things, right? Like, I don't have to just revert to alcohol, which then makes everything worse, but I think it's going to make it better because it does in the instant, right? Like, I have a way to, like, sit through it, be uncomfortable, be sad, be happy, be whatever I feel, but be okay with it, um, and, and, um, and have people in my life that point me right back to the steps, right? And all the steps do is point me right back to God. So it's like the more that I'm involved in Alcoholics Anonymous, no matter what happens, as long as I don't get too far away, I'm going to always find my way back to God. And then that's where I find serenity in my life. Um, you know, and like somewhat recently, like I was going through um, something in my life, in my personal life, you know, and I, and I was really struggling with like having faith in God in this situation. Right. And it was like this thing that I felt like, like I needed to do it. And I just like I tried, you know, like I did the inventory, like I, you know, I talked to people, whatever. And then like the thing happens. And I just like dove into AA. I felt like a newcomer again, right? Like I'm calling people, I'm acting like a crazy person, I'm saying crazy things. And then, like, after that, after that, like, period went by, like, I remember talking to my sponsor about it. And I was like, man, like, that was such a beautiful moment. Like, I'm like six years sober and I'm relying on AA like a newcomer. And then by the end of it, I start to have this faith in God that, like, everything's gonna be okay again. And I, I like, again, it was like one of those things where, like, I understood in that moment, like, like, that's what, like, matching calamity with serenity is, right? Like, like um, you know, I it, it's just crazy. Like, even if I don't have faith in God for, for whatever's going on in my life, because I think it's easy to say, like, yeah, I trust God, clean house, I'm good to go. But the reality of it is, is, like, faith is an action, right? And some there's some things I struggle to have faith in God in. But the beauty of it is, is I rely on the people in this room, and then I find God through it. And it's, like, such an amazing thing. But... Um, that's all I got so thanks for letting me share
1: right. thank you drew um, I'm Hannah Gruber and I'm an alcoholic yeah, I am. Um, so I would like to thank Matt um, so just pass that on to him <laughs> That I'm grateful that he asked me to be here um, Yeah. And thank you to this meeting. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm really grateful and humbled by being here, right? Because I was a person that when I was new, I thought there's no way anyone is going to want anything to hear, like any word that I have to say, right? Um, I thought the people who came up here had it figured out. They knew what they were doing, right? They They had their lives together, and I can tell you that's not true. More is revealed every day, Um, but nevertheless, grateful to be here. Um, My sobriety day is August 14th of 2018. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. I have the privilege of sponsoring others. Um, I have a home group. It is the Way of Life group of Alcoholics Anonymous. It meets in Raleigh on Monday nights at 8 p.m. downtown. Uh, If you're ever available, we would love to have you, and I hold a service position at that home group. Um, So yeah, meeting calamity with serenity. I like wrote down a few things that I'm probably not even going to pay attention to. Um, But you know, I appreciated Drew's lead and reading that section out of the big book that this comes from, right? The... Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity?" Um, You know, and that is coming out of the big book on and how it works when we're talking about fear, right? Um, And what I think is most important about that is I'm told again and again through the book that I don't have to know, I don't have to believe, I don't have to understand have to just try try to have this faith right and if i have that willingness to try like i'm already basically there um and i was thinking about what to bring tonight right um calamity with serenity and when i thought about calamity i was reminded of how many times in the big book it tells me pretty explicitly that the calamity is mostly within myself right I am usually the maker of the calamity, and if it happens to be external calamity, I'm the one that makes it about me um, because I am selfish and self-centered, and um, you know, I don't have a drinking problem. I have a living problem with a <laughs> drinking solution. Um, so to qualify a little bit, I was that person that when I discovered alcohol, I was in love from that second. The first sip, I was, this is my solution. Um, what that looked like for me was my life was pretty unmanageable before, which I know was a just budding signs of alcoholism now because my life was very unmanageable. Um, it wasn't my home life. It was um, my mental life, the way I went about the world. I didn't know how to live, and at the time, I was very much diagnosed with outside issues because I was troubled, um, and... You know, Today I know that that is part of my alcoholic condition because not only did alcohol serve as a great solution to those problems too, um, but the solution of AA works on those issues as well for me um, and gives me the ability to pick up other tools. Um, But I was thinking about calamity and making things about myself and I was brought back to that first step, right? My life is unmanageable. I'm living in calamity, I'm living in chaos, however you wanna identify that word. And before I came into sobriety and recovery, that is all my life consisted of, Um, kind of as Drew was mentioning. like Those troubles, those hardships, that was my life. Um, Because if it wasn't, I was gonna make it anyway. Um, I was a person that was very good at burning bridges and pulling structures down on my head. Um, When I had that first drink, I immediately felt the sense of ease and comfort uh, that I was looking for all my life. Um, It was like I could breathe for the first time. That first night, I actually recently remembered um, that I stole the bottle of peppermint schnapps and hid in a closet. Um, That first night of drinking, everyone else had like two sips of warm beer and that was it. And I was hiding in a closet uh, just swigging this. And it had to be removed from me and that was my first night right so i like to say i skipped the period where drinking was a social thing um, because i had immediately found my solution to life Um, it made me feel smart enough pretty enough funny enough whatever it was all of a sudden i was a part of life Um, and with that came a lot more chaos and a lot more unmanageability even though at the beginning it was my solution When you're immediately starting to, you know, seek that out as a teenager, like, alone frequently, like, that's probably a sign that there's something wrong. I remember one of my first thoughts of drinking was, this must be what normal people feel like all the time. And it turns out, like, if you're not one of us, that's not a thought you have when you drink. Um, But I truly believed that that was how people felt sober. So how, how would anyone say, you're not allowed that? And my whole line was, if you had a life like mine, if you had been through what I'd been through, you would drink like I did. And how dare you for taking away my solution? Um, So I was reflecting about this idea of calamity. And I had another memory pop up that I had somehow missed. I don't know if you're like me, but the longer I stay sober, the more and more I'm aware of things that I had just blocked out in my drinking. Um... So this particular instance is a great example of the calamity I make in myself. When I have no solution, my only solution is alcohol, and that's no longer working either. Um, Because I did reach a point where, like Drew was mentioning, it just compounded the matter. I would sober up and I'd feel worse. The problems that I had were growing bigger and bigger, and I was making them, you know, into these impossible um, masses. And the only solution would be to drink more. So this instance, this is actually the story of how I dropped out of college Um, because I had forgotten uh, what led up to that point and what it looks like was the two roommates that I was living with in college, right, basically wanted to have a conversation because they were concerned and they were concerned because I was actually going through like DTs at the time. I would wake up like shaking every morning and I was like, oh my gosh, my anxiety is so bad. Um, so my answer was to drink around the clock and supplement with other substances. And naturally my behavior became more and more erratic. I would invite more and more unsavory characters to this place where two other girls were living and were not engaging in anything I was doing. I was doing lots of illegal things around them uh, that they were uncomfortable with. I was. You know, I mean, not doing the dishes. I certainly wasn't doing the dishes. And um, they tried to have a conversation with me about being concerned with me. And what I heard was they hate me. And so my natural reaction, in the spirit of calamity-inducing, was that I got in a screaming match with them because to me, they were out to get me. They were trying to take away this living situation that was mine. They didn't understand what I was going through. They didn't understand the mental health concerns I had. Um, And it became a blowout match. And these poor girls even got their mothers involved because I was a danger to their living situation. Um, And so what happened was This got bigger and bigger. I would go to the counseling center at school, and I'd complain about how my roommates were out to get me and um, how my anxiety was so bad. And I ended up medically withdrawing from school. My parents came and rescued me from Florida, where I went to become a a very successful alcoholic. And, um, you know, my parents ended up making an agreement with these families since I had traumatized their daughters to just pay rent the rest of that year because I was no longer living there, and I wasn't meeting the lease agreement. That is what my life looks like with no solution and untreated alcoholism. I wreck the, <laughs> the people around me. I get other people into these predicaments. My parents have to shell out money after money after money. And I take no responsibility for it because I don't see my part. I think I'm a victim. I think life happens to me. I think the world is out to get me, like was mentioned. Um, And so what do I do instead of meeting that calamity with anything productive is I start sneaking out, stealing my car and getting found in blackout drunks in downtown Raleigh. Um, Shortly after that, I was introduced to AA, um, which I thought was very strange because I didn't think I had a substance problem. I didn't think I had a drinking problem for sure. Um, You know, I was 19. I was like, what? I don't have anything to do with this but since you guys are really like up in arms about this I will go to get you off my back and um, I did not I was not one of those people who sobered up uh, right away Um, and why I say that as well is because this next example of the calamity I create in my life happened sober right with no solution I as well lived in sober living and um, I was kicked out and it took me two years of sobriety to realize why I was kicked out, because I thought these people were against me. Again, this narrative that I'm this victim, life just happens to me, because that is what my life looks like when I'm living in chaos, I don't have a solution, and I'm no longer drinking, because I still can't live life successfully. And what had actually happened was, I was not showing up to house meetings. They don't like that. I was starting fights amongst the women there, and then like, saying, I didn't do that. Um, I was accusing people of stealing things that were not stolen. Um, and in my head I had done nothing wrong and I was sober the whole time because without a solution, that's what my life looks like. I get worse when I am not drinking and the self-righteousness, the selfishness in that, that is that unmanageability. That is the chaos that I make my life. and. You know, what a painful existence that is, and what effort. I truly believed that I was this victim. There were things in my story that were not something that I had a part in, but that didn't matter because I carried that. And in Bill, as Bill sees it, there's a paragraph that has this reading of Calamity with Serenity, and it talks about placing dependence upon people and how that is something that is a root of our problem, right? And that's what I do when I'm the victim. I'm giving people, places, and things power over me. I'm holding on to those grudges. I'm holding on to hatred. And I'm creating more chaos and more blocks from connection to something bigger than myself. Um, and so that was something that you know the 12 steps helped me to do to get rid of that victim mentality, to work on a solution, and to take some accountability for my life where I had accountability. Um, And, you know, I came in this last time and I had my first moment of serenity because before I came into AA, I didn't know what happiness was. I didn't know what true laughter was. I didn't know joy. Um, In fact, I saw it in the people in AA before I got a solution and I thought it was the strangest thing. At first, I thought everyone in here was very mentally unwell because they were laughing. They were trying to hug me. They were giving me their phone numbers. I was like, you don't know me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like creeped out a little bit, honestly. Um, But eventually I started to see like these people really did have fun. They really did mean it. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, But what I was seeing was people were restored to sanity. People were having that serenity that's talked about. They were having freedom from, you know, their living problem that is – a program outlined in the 12 steps that helps us to do that. Um, but my first moment of serenity that I noticed was actually right after an overdose. Um, that is also how I came into the rooms uh, for real this time. Um, and you know, when I came to, I found out later that um, you know, my heart was pretty much gone. They only found me because my mom had a funny tummy feeling. They broke down the door in my apartment. I had been unresponsive for 12 hours. Like, I should be dead, right? And um, I didn't know that when I came to. But when I came to, I just had this wave of peace. It was the weirdest thing. It was just, for the first time, I knew in my heart that I was going to die from this disease. Like, that was the moment where I truly conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. Um, But that peace was what I call now my higher power because I knew the one thing that I hadn't tried and that one thing was AA, right? I had been around it enough. I had seen it work in other people and I knew I hadn't really given it a shot. I had worked the steps by name. I had checked things off. I had sponsors that didn't know they were sponsoring me very frequently. Um, And that was it, right? I got out of the ICU four or five days later I went to my first meeting uh, 9 a.m. that morning um, and what happened was I started to work the steps not because I believed they would work but because I knew they were the only thing left that I hadn't tried um, and at first honestly it was really hard like I didn't really have a solution I didn't really believe in anything bigger than myself but I believed that People weren't lying to me. I believed that the people in here actually meant what they were saying. Um, And as I worked the steps, I started to get that relief. I started to get that peace of mind. And I will say the first time I went through the steps, I was not thorough and I was not honest. Um, But what happened with that was where I truly saw meeting calamity with serenity for the first time actively play out in my life. Um, I was just about nine months sober. Um, And my grandfather who had just got a clean bill of health uh, was working in his yard and passed away of a heart attack just like that. Um, And for one, that was the first major thing that had happened in my sobriety that was not something of my own making, right? This was something big. And what I hadn't told my sponsor at the time was that I did have a reservation on my sobriety that reservation was, if someone close to me passes, it's okay to drink. Um, But what happened was, I got in the car and I started that four hour journey up there to be with my Mima and to be with my family. And I was horrified, I was mortified, I was angry with God um, because I had grown some sort of connection. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, what, why? You know? I'm sober now. I'm doing better. Why are you doing this to me and falling into that victim mentality again? But what happened is I got up there and something had shifted. Instead of doing what I always do and making it about me and my reaction to things, I showed up and I supported people. I showed up and I was of service to my grandma. I showed up and I was of service to my family and I was able to be there for them in a way that you know, still gives me goosebumps to think about because that's not me. You know, when something goes wrong, prior to this program, it was always about how's Hannah doing because Hannah's gonna make it worse. Like if we think this is bad, just wait a few hours. Um, And for the first time I showed up and I truly was just looking for what I could do for my family who was hurting so bad. Um, And I remember being, furious that I didn't want to drink. I was so mad. I went to a meeting up there in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and I shared about what had happened. And I was like, this is the most awful thing I could imagine happening. And I am so angry that I don't want to drink. I should want to drink. And the group just kind of chuckled. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I... I should at least want to, I should be fighting, right? And I left that meeting very confused. Um, but I called the woman who, shortly after, then became my sponsor. Um, I called her and I explained the situation. And I was like, Look, I don't know what's happening, but I don't want to drink and I'm really mad about it. And she just said, Hannah, it sounds like you're starting to believe in the power of God. And that floored me a little bit because it was true. I was starting to have that serenity. I was starting to react differently to life. And what ended up happening with that was I was able to work with my cousins and set up the whole memorial service because the parents, the grandparents could not do it. We were able to show up and it was a sad, beautiful experience that I cherish to this day. And that is only a result of this program. Um, You know, because before this program there had been things that had happened where I did not react that way, and I made it about me. Um, so that was the first time I really saw matching calamity with serenity happen in real time. Um, and that has continued. Um, like was kind of mentioned, the 12 steps are designed to be my answer to any problem that I have in my life. and. Um, you know, the 12 and 12 in step 12 talks about because we see monotony, pain, and calamity turn to good use to those who keep trying to practice AA's 12 steps, like we can essentially meet life's ups and downs. And what I appreciate about that is it says trying. It doesn't say we do it perfectly. It doesn't say we believe all the time. We have the same faith. It grows. It grows. It means that there's work and I have to just try. Um, there have been times, other times in my sobriety where, you know, I remember being two and a half years sober and realizing that a major health issue was coming up in my life. And again, I went through this period of doubt, of anger, of sadness, of despair. And I was like, how could I be so blind to not notice this for two and a half years? My sponsor, I highly recommend you get one if you don't have one yet, um, said, you know, you weren't ready to stay sober if this had happened earlier. It's happening now because you're ready for it. Which I didn't like, I was like, I'd rather not be ready for this at all, and it never happened. Um, But she was right, and what it looked like was not that I felt okay. Like, sometimes I get that confused in Serenity. I I expect that I will feel okay, and that is not my experience. Like Drew kind of mentioned, it's this knowing I will be okay. And sometimes that's really frustrating. Um, At that time, I was in a dark place and I was still going to meetings. I was still showing up. I had a plan for committing me to the hospital if it got to that point. I had a short list of places I was gonna try and go and a short list of people I was gonna call and all of them knew about it. Um, And I didn't have to make that call. I didn't have to go anywhere but I had the support of the people in AA, I had the program supporting me through it all, and I, I was okay. And part of me knew I would be okay, even though I had to make that plan. And that is the difference in my life today. Today, when life happens, I have another option. I always have the option to create chaos and to choose to revert back to self-will. <coughs> But I never had that choice before. Before it was a guarantee. I have one option, and that option, I know is gonna make things worse, but it's the only one I know because I'm so desperate and in so much pain. And today I can be in so much pain and sobriety and hate every minute of it, but know in my heart that I'm gonna be okay. And like, honestly, it's infuriating sometimes. I'm like, oh, I know I'm gonna be okay through this. And uh, feels more dramatic than that. Um, but what a gift that is. Um, you know, today I'm able to show up and be present in the lives of my family, in the lives of others. I'm able to, you know, make right some of the things that I have done wrong. And there are some things I'm never going to be able to make right. Um, you know, like the time I took away from my siblings who were younger than me and struggling. Um, or the people that I've harmed that are no longer with us. But what I do have is a solution for living today, so I don't have to make those mistakes again. And if I follow that solution as laid out, when life shows up, when things happen, and usually they're not something I've caused anymore. Sometimes they still are, but usually they're not, which is nice. Um, I don't have to pull the whole structure down on my head anymore. Sometimes I feel like doing that because it feels really bad and I still don't like sitting in pain. I still don't like discomfort. I don't like, you know, suffering, but I don't have to suffer anymore. And what I have to do instead is pick up the phone, call my sponsor, call someone in AA and get to a meeting. Come and do things like this and share time with you and speak with you. Um, And it truly is the joy of living and through that I get peace. Of mind, I get peace of soul because I, I'm not so easily disturbed as I once was. Um, you know, I've been reflecting too of the situation I'm in now. My problems are so high class now. <laughs> like I was someone that I I was always struggling, thinking, stressing about how I'm going to get that next one. How's it gonna happen? How am I gonna hide it? How am I gonna like make this happen? How do I have enough to get me through this next day? And like today my stress is, I'm in graduate school and passing and I just have assignments I need to do. And that's so stressful to me today um, because my threshold of pain has gotten way higher because I've been able to Work this program. To work these steps. Work this solution, and it has given me so, a life bigger than one I had had before. Like I didn't get my old life back. It wasn't worth it um, if I had. Um, instead, I have a whole new life with a whole new set of problems, and I don't have to react to it today. Today, I have peace of mind in my soul that everything will be okay. I am provided for. I am safe and loved and protected with my higher power today even if my emotions don't always agree with that. Um, And I think that's the toughest part for me to accept, still, of I don't have to feel okay to be okay. Um, And I think that's all I got for you guys tonight, so thank you.